Number three in a row. Here we go. Welcome again, ladies and gentlemen, or just gentlemen. Um, all right, so get to kind of get moving here. Uh, have a lot of talk, lot to talk about today. Um, again, only have a hour to fit it in, so that's why I got to get moving. Uh, so NFL stuff, like we do every week. Going to start off with it real quick. Um, honestly, had a little bit of trouble getting it to get. I mean, there's some things that I like, but ah, you know, I can't say it's kind of like last week. Last week ended up hitting with the three team teaser to get the podcast to four and zero on picks. Last week didn't feel great about it. Giants covered. Um, you know, depending on when you took them, either with the hook, I think by game time, it got up to Giants plus seven. So um, even still, you know, only a two point cover there, kind of sweated out at the end. Um, and then the other two actually won outright, which was great. Um, Lions finally getting their first win of the year, much needed. Uh, that was actually, I ended up watching the end of that game. It was actually fucking awesome to see them win. Um, but this week, um, I have some things that I do like tentative, uh, because we're, <laughs> we're getting to the point of like every week uh, I keep, uh, beating the drum on some bad teams and, uh, it, the inevitable is coming and, um, you know, it's, uh, kind of a tough spot because, I'm not the type of person that really likes to take favorites, especially this year when, you know, um, underdogs are, are covering at kind of an all-time, all-time high. So, you know, we're kind of hitting a, a rock and a hard place right here. But, you know, we keep uh, pushing onward. I do promise uh, some picks every week. So I did muster up some stuff. Um, so let's just get into it this week. Uh, really, no bias, no bias. We're staying away from the Giants this week. Don't want any part of that. Looks like Jake, Jake Fromm's going to get the start for them. So, you know, I don't think it can get, get any worse than, uh, how Mike Glennon looked last week, but I mean, maybe it could, I don't know. I don't know. Well, no part of that. The first game that I like is I like Cleveland giving two and a half home against Baltimore. Um, you know, if Cle- Cleveland's coming off a bye, if they win this game, they are one game back of the Ravens for the lead in the division. Um, so, you know, this is anytime you have a division game on the road, I don't care how bad or good the respective teams are. It's always closer than anybody expects. Um, we saw them the last time Cleveland played a game actually was against Baltimore. So this is their second game in a row that they're playing. That was in Baltimore. That was the ugly Lamar Jackson four interception game on, uh, I don't know if it was it Monday, was it Monday or Sunday night? I don't know. It was a primetime game. It was terrible. I'm expecting kind of much of the same. Um, just because that's what it looks like from a numbers perspective. The line is Cleveland minus two and a half with an over under 
of 42. So, um, the weather looks like it's going to be okay. You know, forties, um, uh, let's, let's actually have a look, uh, just to see after that, um, after that <laughs> Monday night Bills Patriots game, it's probably good to just have a look at the wind. All right. Um, so Sunday looks like it's going to be mostly sunny, 16 mile per hour winds, you know, 45 degrees. Not great. Um, a little chilly, a little windy. Uh, I think that favors Cleveland. Just because uh, Lamar really, really struggling to throw the ball right now. I mean, it's I mean, so is Baker, but I mean, you know, Lamar is, uh, you know, turning the ball over at a crazy high rate. I think Baker obviously way less prolific, but you know, he's still only got six interceptions on the year. If Cleveland sticks to a game plan, which you would expect them to do with having coming off a bye. Um, you know, Cleveland getting back to that run game, uh, Baltimore is a good run defense, but you know, they, um, just lost Marlon Humphrey for the season, I believe, um, their best defensive player cornerback. So maybe Cleveland, you know, can establish a bit of the run, maybe hit a uh, big play over the top doesn't look like much scoring is going to be needed. At least that's the expectation. There's not a lot of scoring is going to be needed to win this game. So uh, I like Cleveland here. Um, laying the two and a half, um, I think that's a great number. Um, you know, they win by a field goal, you, you cover. So it's beautiful. Um, I take Cleveland with the points uh, as a straight bet. Uh, Baltimore, again, playing really, really poorly these last couple of weeks, even though they're still, I think, maybe the second seed in the AFC for the time being behind the Patriots. Um, so, yeah, um, that would be my, my uh, probably my top play of the week is take Cleveland minus two and a half. And then I also like another two-team teaser this week. Um, first game of which being uh, Dallas-Washington. Um, currently, it's Dallas minus four, already moved uh, towards Washington. When the line opened up, it was Dallas minus five, already getting some um, some big leans towards Washington, big bets. Um, you know, obviously, Dallas is going to be I'd be interested to see the statistics in the last time that Dallas wasn't a uh, public favorite. Um, but at least some of the big bettors appear to be bidding down the Washington side of this. So, uh, I take Washington in a six point teaser. Give me Washington plus 10. Uh, maybe, well, we'll see. We're going to look at the other, the other, um, the other game. Maybe we'll, we'll buy it up. We'll pay 10, 10 bucks to buy it up half a point. Um, but Washington playing some great football right now, beating some good teams. Um, Gibson is finally, you know, running the ball effectively. They're establishing the run. Heineke has looked pretty good in play action. They kind of had a sketchy game against the Raiders. Probably should have lost that one. But, you know, that's a road game. Um, cross country, 
um, you know, pretty, I mean, Raiders aren't, you know, they, they look terrible some weeks, but, you know, by all accounts, it's still a pretty, pretty solid road win for a team that was at one point, they were like two, two and four, two and five. Um, you know, Heineke's playing solid. That defense is really uh, straightened out from being one of the, uh, they were supposed to be one of the top units in the NFL. And through the first uh, quarter, even potentially the first half of the season, they were, they were really um, uh, falling short of expectations. And they've kind of turned around recently too. So, um, you know, if they, they could get some pressure on Prescott, he hasn't looked like himself the last couple of games. Uh, if you're going to give me, again, 10 points in a home team in a divisional game um, where the home team is currently a playoff team as well. Give me 10 points. Uh, fading Dallas, as I so love to do. Uh, love Washington plus 10. Um, again, let's see. Let's see what the line is, the final line is for the other game, at least at the time of the recording. Uh, yeah, so I like the Bears on Sunday night getting um, 12 and a half. Uh, I think there's a common theme here. A lot of division games going on this week. Uh, I like the underdogs in a division game for the reasons that I keep talking about is that, you know, especially in a situation like this where you have uh, one, you know, Packers probably the best team in the NFL, giving a ton of points in a divisional game, even though the Packers are at home. Uh, you know, I like the Bears to just kind of hang in there um, and cover. Uh, if we add six points to this, uh, that would be 18 and a half. That's a, that's a ton of points. Um, give it to me every time. You know, for the sake of... Um, Yeah, you know what? We'll just let it ride. We're not going to buy the half point. So give me the Bears and the Skins, in, or excuse me, the football team in a two-team uh, two six-point teaser. That would be Washington getting 10 and Chicago getting 18 and a half. Um, give me that two-team teaser and give me Cleveland laying two and a half at home against Baltimore. As the two bets of the week, one of these one of these is going to lose, if not both of them. We're due to get a loss, but I, um, you know, in a vacuum, not considering, uh, you know, what's gone on in the last couple of weeks, uh, these are the bets that I like. So let's roll with them and see what happens. Okay, <clears throat> getting into, so... Smooth transition from segment to segment. Now that the NFL segment is over, we are going to officially call uh, the, uh, the uh, I guess, the main topic of the day, um, the topic of the day. <laughs> That's going to be the second segment every week. Um, it's just going to be the topic of the day, whatever, or a topic of the week. I don't know. Topic of the day, topic of the week, same thing. Um, that's just going to be the one thing that I decide to focus on, um, on the given recording, uh, as you all know, that have been listening, I am very all over the place with this and just trying to cover 
anything that seems relevant, I guess, at least in my world, um, just take the, you know, 40, 50 minutes, whatever to talk about it. So this week we are going to talk about crypto and NFTs. And I'm just going to give, um, I guess a high level, um, chit chat about it, uh, just based on what I've learned in what's today. Today is December 8th. So I started researching all of this stuff before Thanksgiving. So it's been like one, two, it's only been like three weeks, but this is honestly what I've spent a lot of my free time just kind of like watching YouTube videos and doing online research and stuff. So our motto here at John and his laptop is that I'm here to do the research and tell you guys what I find. I'm doing my research on my fucking laptop. And I am just going to kind of talk about what I learned and tell you, uh, you know, just give you the highlights and maybe uh, you learn something from the things that I have learned. All right. Uh, That's our, uh, yeah, that's our, uh, what do you call it? Um, Ah, fuck it. Whatever. Uh, So... Basically, I just want to give uh, NFTs are really what I'm going to talk about because it seems like they are mostly the the um, Jesus fuck the fucking goddamn leaf blowers outside. I hope this is fucking ridiculous how loud it is. Um, can't hear myself think. God damn it. Um, shit. All right, um, <laughs> quick little 30-second interruption. Uh, so basically, um, you know, NFTs seem to be a lot of what uh, people don't seem to grasp or understand. It seems like, at least by now, you know, now that the crypto um, the, the crypto game is a kind of... Uh, been going on for a couple of years now. Seems like the more people I talk to, everybody at least has a little, you know, a small little uh, toe dipped in the water there. Um, but I want to just give a bit of an overview of all of it quickly, just so things can maybe make a little bit more sense as we get uh, down the list here. So... So the, the easiest way to describe it is just kind of going through uh, from piece to piece. There's, I think, at least the way that I have kind of accumulated um, all of my findings and research on the subject, it's kind of like a linear progression of how this stuff has kind of, um, you know, worked its way up. Um, so, like, for example, let's just get into it. So... Each one of these coins is basically what's called a blockchain. And a blockchain, for lack of better words, I'm just going to read. I'm just going to read the definition I have here um, from my notes. 
Uh, a blockchain is a type of shared database that differs from a typical database in the way that it stores information. They store data in blocks that are linked together via cryptography. So it's basically like every time that a um, like a transaction is made, it's its own individual box. So like it's basically like getting a package from Amazon or something like that, where it's like if a transaction is made, it's stored in that little box. And like once that transaction is made, it's over. So it's not like, you know, like uh, if you have a transaction that's made in a bank or something, um, you know, like a fraudulent charge or a charge that, you know, uh, like you ordered food and never got the food. You just called up Wells Fargo and like that transaction is stored, but it could just easily be reversed based on, you know, what actually occurred. You could call them, call customer service, bing, bang, boom, done. Uh, the blockchain is non-reversible, uh, basically, uh, package deliveries. So the exchange of, you know, if you want to, let's just use Bitcoin, for example. If uh, I receive a Bitcoin, uh, that's one block transaction. If I send it, it's totally separate. So the thing with blockchain is, is basically all... All you really need to know at a high level is that it's just think of it as non-reversible package deliveries of coins. That's pretty much all it is. And the reason why they do this is that, you know, unlike like, you know, like physical U.S. dollars, is that since these things are so unique in, you know, in each individual transaction, um, they're immune to things like counterfeit. There's no central banking authority. Um, and each of these, you know, having unique identifiers, make sure that uh, these transactions are very strongly encrypted. So, you know, if you go to like a fucking strip club or some shit, someone could take your debit card information and start using it. If you're using cryptocurrency because of the way that these uniquely blocked packaged transactions are occurring, there's basically no way of like fraudulent charges, which is why, you know, as a method of currency, um, at least in that regard, you know, a lot of it is, is a lot more secure than the current banking system, which is why, you know, a bit of a reason why you see this thing starting to take off. Um, but one thing to that I do want to note is something that I learned just from my own mistakes of, um, you know, I guess just being naive, is that I cannot cannot stress enough that it is not reversible. So if you make a mistake sending something along the blockchain, it is not reversible. So you could just fucking send it. You could create a package, send it, and basically send it to an incorrect address. And uh, you're not going to get it back. So, you know, like in the mail, you have a return address. It's basically like sending mail without a return address where it just goes and then you can't get it back. I made that mistake. Um, I sent something to the wrong address and I lost um, some money doing that. 
Um, so for anybody who's listening, who may be interested in getting into this and, you know, really doesn't understand any of it, it's really important to know this because you could very easily make a naive mistake like I did and lose a lot of money. So when you first get into it, my suggestion would be, you know, if you're going to be exchanging, um, you know, uh, things along the blockchain, try small amounts first. Uh, and we'll get into that a little bit more after I just kind of describe what this is. Um, so again, a blockchain is basically, um, you know, uh, small packages of coins that have value, um, that are irreversible, um, and subject and not subject to counterfeit, not subject to really any limitation. So if you wanted to take out uh, $10,000 from an ATM, you couldn't do that because you have limits at the bank. There's failed tra transactions. You get blocks on card on cards. Like if you have a debit card and there's a fraudulent charge somewhere, then you can't use your debit card until you call customer service. Crypto basically eliminates all of the kind of hassle while still maintaining the security associated with exchanging funds, especially at a high level. Because obviously, you know, the more money that you're um, kind of shifting around, the level of security goes up. And sometimes it's, you know, if you are exchanging a lot of money within like a checking account or savings account, uh, there's a, you know, there's a huge hassle that goes with it. Crypto, you can, you know, very easily exchange fluidly and securely uh, without having to deal with the hassle as long as you are careful with what you're doing, unlike I was. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, another piece of this is, um, you know, another interesting piece is that uh, each coin is built on their own blockchain. So... Think of the, the the way that I like to think of it is that, you know, instead of thinking everything in dollars, which is where I think a lot of people get confused, it's easier to just think of them as like solid metals, right? So it's like Bitcoin is gold. So you could exchange gold for a certain amount of gold for a certain service, right? You could also say that you could exchange a certain amount of gold for a certain number of us dollars like there's an equivalency the same thing can be said for ethereum but ethereum at least in the, the current market would be silver so bitcoin is gold ethereum is silver obviously gold is more valuable than silver so however much gold can be represented at a number of us dollars silver would be represented in another value of us dollars both of them, you could obviously, you know, get to equivalent number of the two of them, how much, you know, what one gold would be equal to in silver, but they're their own individual entities. So it's not like I, it's not like just taking money out of your wallet uh, for an exchange of service. It's kind of like, you know, if, if you had, um, it's basically like saying if you showed up to a store, you know, Bitcoin would be your $20 bills and Ethereum would be your $5 bills. Um, you could only, in, in order to 
use Bitcoin as an exchange, you could you're only limited to using your twenty dollar bills. You can't say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you one twenty and one five. Like you can't combine the two to, to purchase something. Um, so it's important to think of like each individual coin coin as is as it's each uh, as its own specific um, entity because on the blockchain they're on their own specific blockchain so they cannot be co-mingled whatsoever um so um that's why you kind of see the vastly different values between them that's why you know i kind of made the gold and silver analogy and then you know there's gazillions of coins at this point you could fucking you know go down the list and assign them whatever you know specific name you want to make sense of it um but the important thing to remember is that they're all relative to U.S. dollar. So, um, you know, that's that's where we can kind of estimate the value between or, or the difference of value between between them all. So the why you see such a disparity um, of the value is. For a couple of things, so. You know, obviously, Bitcoin is was like kind of the first uh, glow up. Um, and then, you know, Ethereum is like the silver, the silver daddy now, and then you're going to see like Solana and Cardano and it kind of works its way down, you know, the list there's, you know, there's really four, like four big ones. Um, but there's a couple things that go into this, a timing, uh, when they were made, you know, Bitcoin was like the first boom. So of course, you know, that's, that, that was like the first one to kind of take off. So things like timing. And um, then it comes to supply. So Bitcoin, there are only 21 million in existence. So obviously, if there's a finite supply of something, kind of like a precious metal, to make that analogy once again, um, that's going to drive up the value a little bit. Um, Ethereum, um, they have an uncapped supply. They make about uh, their their limit, at least for now, is making uh, an extra 18 million per per year. Um, I don't. I, I tried looking up the number. Uh, let's let's see if we can find it again. John his trusty laptop. Uh, right now, the current circulating supply is 118 million. So um, again. The fact that there are only 21 million Bitcoin in existence versus 118 million accounting and Ethereum is, uh, is in existence, um, you can kind of make your determination on that just based on you know where the value lies, um, and you kind of see a lot of the other coins taking the um, Ethereum approach and just making uh, more per year. Basically, the the um, the uh, the, the number that they're making per year is almost like paying dividends. So if you're a large holder of Ethereum um, or Solana or Cardano, um, they'll basically just give you some more coins for being a big supporter. Um, you know, what the percentage or how many they give you or what it takes to get to that level, I don't know. But from what I've read is that 
if you are a very, very large supporter of their blockchain, they will give you certain benefits. So again, try to think of it like dividends. Um, and then another thing that is kind of the big difference between uh, what you see in the in terms of these values, why you see Bitcoin and Ethereum being so much more than everything else, is there's what's called proof of work and proof of stake. So proof of work is associated with two with two major coins being Bitcoin and Ethereum. And what proof of work uh, basically means is you have to do some sort of work to uh, in order to mine uh, one of these two coins. So mining is something that I, another thing that I feel like goes over a lot of people's heads, but it's really very simple. Um, you basically need a supercomputer to run the program that's needed to basically um, solve puzzles. They're like cryptography puzzles so it's like um you know it'll basically just be a riddle um for you to solve you know in terms of like it's like um you know it's almost like fucking like something out of the matrix where it's just like uh one relates to letter x then solve the fucking rest of the riddle with the, if if one is to x then what's two three four five six all the way down to like fucking 50 or something like that i don't know how you figure that shit out but people know how to do this so it's solving fucking puzzles like that basically but you need a super fucking like super strong computer to even run the program to get to that point so if i wanted so if I wanted to mine Bitcoin, I would have to run like a crazy VPN through like 20 different, like super strong Alienware towers just to like get enough power to run this program so I could work on solving these puzzles. And I'm competing against other people doing this shit. And it's basically the first one to solve the puzzle gets rewarded with a Bitcoin. And once that Bitcoin, once that puzzle gets solved, then that Bitcoin gets removed from the 21 million. I don't know how, how many are left that are unaccounted for, but that's where they're coming from. And the same thing goes for Ethereum. The extra Ethereum, like I said, the extra 18 million per year, some of them are getting thrown back into the mining pool and some of them are getting gifted to uh, large shareholders. And that's basically what it is. That's proof of work. And that's why Bitcoin and Ethereum are so uh, valuable because, um, you know, people are dedicating their lives to solving these puzzles and getting these coins. And obviously like, you know, it's a very intensive, um, you know, it's a very intensive process. Uh, you know, some of the, you know, mining farms that people are constructing to be able to do this as like, a, you know, people are literally putting together like, um, like, uh, you know, like teams, like a company to be able to do this. And a lot of the mining farms are taking up like a single mining farm takes up, um, you know, just as much uh, energy as the entire uh, country of New Zealand does in a given week. 
So, you know, this is a very intensive process and, um, you know, that's another big driving force in the value of these kinds of things. And the lower level coins um, is, um, you know, it's what it's what's called proof of stake. And, um, you know, the mining for these is basically the same thing, but the mine, the mining for Bitcoin, it favors uh, miners with um, very strong, um, you know, computer power, computational power. So the more um, the more like uh, VPN energy you have, the more capable you are of mining Bitcoin or Ethereum. Proof of stake takes the uh you know the favorability from you know people with strong computer generators towards majority shareholders so basically what that means is the more you know examples of proof of stake coins are solana and cardano so the more solana i have um gives me the more uh probability and capability of of uh obtaining more of it through mining and mining still basically the same process but requires much less power and the more i have of that coin will be able to um um reward me um at having success at mining it as well so um you know it's a it's it's a little bit uh you know different and honestly the proof of stake uh i'm still trying to wrap my head around it completely um but it's a far less intensive process it's a far less uh burden um you know your energy costs are obviously going to be far less because you're not trying to you don't have to i mean you have to have like serious fucking computer rig but you don't have to use as much energy as the fucking country of new zealand so um you know it's just like a lot of other things it's like you know a lot of at least in a capitalistic society the the higher the stakes the more the value drives up so the proof of work is uh basically a very high stakes um intensive process while proof of stake is not that it's not high stakes or intensive, it's just far less. But, you know, now that might be, you know, this uh, model that kind of Ethereum started with where, you know, it, they're treating it more like shareholders where, you know, you, um, you get more opportunities based on the more coin you have. Um, that seems to be you know, uh, gaining a little bit of traction just because of the, um, environmental effects that this intensive mining proof of work process is having. Um, because, you know, like, like Elon Musk stopped accepting Bitcoin for Tesla because of, um, you know, because of the negative effect, uh, effects that, that level of, uh, energy usage was having on the environment. So, um, you know, we could see a closing of the gap between, um, you know, these two, um, you know, these two major sources of, 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 uh, coin mining, 
But, you know, as it stands right now, there's a fucking huge gap between the two of them. So, uh, you know, I just kind of wanted to explain why, um, you know, why this seems to be happening. I mean, you could make the interpretation on your own, but to me, it's just another, you know, um, it's just another representation of, of, um, of capitalism favoring something that, um, you know, that involves uh, higher stakes and, and more of an intensive process. Um, all right. So now that we've established kind of the uh, process that these things are found and kind of the process in which that they work, um, now we're going to talk a little bit about you know, why, why do you exchange things, um, on the blockchain? Um, you know, what, what can you use these things to buy? Um, certain companies, you know, like I just gave the case of Elon, I don't know what he's accepting now, but certain companies are already working towards, uh, being able to accept crypto as a form of currency for physical products that they make. So that's one use of it. Um, they, um, the, the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, the new mayor, um, he's already receiving his paychecks as the mayor elect, he's receiving his paychecks as, um, as Bitcoin instead of us, uh, typical us dollars. Um, and he is trying to make, uh, New York city, a crypto friendly city in the sense that, um, you know, he's trying to make it so you could exchange, um, you know, any form of crypto to, ride the subway or you could receive your paycheck in it as well blah 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 he's trying to make it a very crypto friendly city so there are already like physical real world instances where you could um exchange uh crypto for goods and services much like you would exchange uh regular money um uh, what was, what was the point? Oh, yes. So how do you do that? You may ask, um, very simple. Um, you basically just set up an account on Coinbase and Coinbase is, um, you know, just like having a checking account in Wells Fargo or Chase. So you go on to Coinbase um, you know, instead of like a wallet in your back pocket, you have what's called a digital wallet and you purchase, um, a certain number of any coin and all it does is just go into your wallet. So if I have two Bitcoin, five Ethereum, you know, 10 Solana, et cetera, et cetera, in my wallet, then it's basically like having 20s, 10s, and 5s in my back pocket. It's the same thing, except it's on an app, and um, 
you know, it's just digital. If I had that much, I would be fucking not recording this podcast and I'd be doing something else because I'd be pretty, pretty rich. But, um, you know, that's, that's essentially all that it is. And the way that you exchange them is that they have a send and receive button. So if I wanted to send it to Tesla because I was trying to buy a car, I would fucking go into my wallet and I would say send and Tesla would give me the address to send it to. And that's what I would do. Very, very, very simple. How it's going to work with, you know, smaller items uh, like with, you know, the MTA or something, all the shit that the mayor has planned. I don't know. You know, maybe Apple works out some kind of deal where you'd just be able to fucking link up your um, Coinbase wallet to Apple Pay or some shit. That would make a lot of sense. Uh, I truly don't know. But um, that's basically all it is, is, you know, to exchange things on the blockchain. That's all you really need. You just need a fucking Coinbase wallet. You can fucking shift shit around as much as you want. Um, But that's the real world application. The digital world is basically what's what's called smart 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 contracts uh smart contracts is basically i mean it's just an exchange of goods um digital goods so a smart contract would be uh something that's made on a specific blockchain so let's say ethereum So I make something on the Ethereum blockchain. At that point, you can give me a certain, so let's say I made a fucking, uh, I don't know, a digital basket, a digital fucking laundry basket. I make a digital laundry basket on the Ethereum blockchain. If you want it, I can sell it to you for a certain, you know, uh, price of ethereum and it could be down to the fucking one millionth of a cent and that's basically it all all it is it's just an exchange of digital goods so instead of me giving a ten dollar bill at chipotle to receive a bowl i give somebody uh a specific amount of whatever blockchain that good is on, I give them a specific amount of the coin on that blockchain for the specific thing that they are selling on it. And that's all it is. And pretty much all of the big coins um, are capable of doing this, but uh, it's some are much better fitted. So Ethereum and Solana are the two, like, biggest ones that a lot of people are using for this type of thing because it comes down to like whenever you move something on the blockchain whether it's just exchanging coins from one person to another or buying one of these goods that are being sold on the blockchain there's fees uh there's a certain speed at which the transaction uh is computed and you know just certain minutia bullshit um you know kind of like that um certain blockchains can handle 
a lot of transactions at a given time. Certain ones can't. Like Bitcoin can only handle like five transact because the fucking network is so strong that it can only handle like five transactions in a given second, which is not a lot. Because if you think you know, like if on the entire Bitcoin blockchain, people are like exchanging all the time, like that, like it obviously it's not a user friendly thing to have to wait, you know, the, with the transaction time and the transaction process being so slow, that's why you don't see Bitcoin being used a lot for these, uh, online digital transactions. Um, Ethereum and Solana, super efficient um, in terms of transaction speed. The fees aren't crazy high. Um, so that's why you see a lot of them. Um, those are the two biggest popular ones to be used for this sort of activity. Um, Solana, Ethereum is definitely the top dog in smart contracts. Uh, Solana is definitely up and coming. Um because it's faster and cheaper. Uh, but the problem is, is, um, you know, they had some sort of slip up back in September. I think it was where their network crashed because of, uh, uh, a lot of transactions being made. So that kind of made people a little woozy about it, but, um, you know, it seems to be, it seems to be back on track. Um, the, you know, the, uh, the security of, um, you know, the network just isn't as strong as Ethereum yet, just because it's a little bit more, more established and a, and a, you know, a bigger team, uh, working on it. Um, so that's really all it is. Um, and that's, that's where we finally get into this NFT deal is an NFT is the, greatest living example of a smart contract. I mean, I, I, in my short time of research, I truly couldn't give you another example. This is like the example. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, everybody knew that they were taken off this year. Everybody's heard of one, but maybe you really don't understand it. So that's, that's, um, that's what we're here to talk about. So, um, NFTs are basically pictures, right? I think everybody knows that much. Is that they're little pictures or like little video files or little GIFs. Um, so let's put it back into the analogy on the blockchain. So basically all it is is let's use Ethereum's blockchain because that's the big popular one. I'm on Ethereum's blockchain and I see a bunch of other Ethereum coins out there available for me to make a transaction, to either buy them or sell some of the ones that I have, you know, either receive a block or package of Ethereum or send one out in exchange for something else, you know, in the real world. The flip side of that is I'm in my Ethereum blockchain and I see a picture or a video of something that's now available for me 
to send out my box of coins and receive that in exchange. I can't use my Bitcoin to buy it because it's not in my little room of Ethereum on the blockchain. In my, it's, let's, it's just like a bedroom. If I'm in my bedroom, that's my Ethereum blockchain. If I wanted to go to the Bitcoin blockchain, I would have to go out to my living room. So now I see these things available for me to purchase. And that's basically all I'm doing is I'm selling out my box, my block of coins or box, and I'm receiving this little picture in return. And these NFTs are built and established on, like I said, mostly Ethereum. And you're seeing a lot of Solana too. Those are the two big ones. So it's basically just up to the person who makes the fucking picture, basically. Um, and basically, what? It, so I see the picture. What is the picture? What is an NFT? So an NFT st- stands for non-fungible token. Non-fungible token basically means that this thing is unique. It's one of one. So it's not like, um, like the easiest way to think about it is like, you know, honestly, a, a good example of something that's non, non fungible is let's say you and I both had a 1999 Toyota Camry, right? My Toyota Camry has uh, fucking 211,000 miles on it. Yours has 112,000 miles on it. Mine's got some chips in, you know, the passenger seat. Uh, It's been in an accident. It's got to replace carburetor. Yours is still in mint condition, right? Same, Same product, same kind of, it's the same unit. They're both Toyota. They're both Camrys. They're both part of some greater, you know, establishment, but they are not interchangeable. They are not the same. They're very different. The value of those two things are very, very different. So that's what NFTs basically are. An NFT is a conglomerate. Each NFT, they're they're all different. Not NFTs are part of one conglomerate. It's basically like I'm an artist. I make a bunch of tokens to whatever I want them to be. I'll just use the example of the one that I'm getting into this weekend. A programmer slash digital artist says, okay, I'm going to make a bunch of, I'm going to make an NFT. So I'm going to make X amount of tokens to be able to, um, to go for sale and be a part of my NFT. So the one that I'm getting into is called, um, digit dragons. So it's, um, this computer programmer, um, he's making 3,500 unique tokens of dragons. And if I were to purchase one, Having that token gives me the ability to participate 
in games and uh, other online activities associated with his website. And that's essentially all it is. It's basically like getting, purchasing a token is like purchasing a ticket to get into the event or to get into the, but instead of an event, think of the, you know, instead of the, the stadium or the venue as being a website is now the uh, version of the stadium or the venue. So when you purchase a ticket based on, you know, if it's a super important game or a super um, selective concert, obviously, if you were to stay up all night, you know, trying to buy fucking Harry Styles tickets that sell out immediately, if you got your hands on one and wanted to flip it, the initial price of it is obviously going to be driven through the roof because it's such an uh, it's such a desired concert. Same thing or NFTs. It's the same thing. If you get your hands on one that's really desirable um, and want to flip it just to make a profit, then obviously you can. But if you find value in the service that they're providing and you really want one, that's what you're paying for. Easiest way to think about it is like going to a show. Right? So if I get one of these dragons, or you could buy multiple, then that increases my stake and my value towards this little online community and my exposure. So, um, you know, relating it back, all it is is basically I'm going to give this guy a certain number of Ethereum and he's going to give me my dragons. And then I'm going to either be able to participate and go to his venue or I'm going to sell my tickets for a profit. That's all it is. So, you know, that's the way I like to think of it, at least. So, you know, a few things go into you know, how much am I going to make? Well, blah, 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 blah. So the things that are kind of tied into this is it all starts with, um, you know, the guy who makes it, right? So, um, you know, places to, let's start with kind of the process that you go about finding these things. So places to find them are either through word of mouth, like this one, for example, I found through word of mouth through a friend. Uh, word of mouth, they have events. You could go online, search events for NFTs. Um, you know, just doing your own research on the internet. There's this website called Rar Rarity Tools that literally has an upcoming NFT projects uh, tab where you could click on that and literally see the ones that are coming out. And, you know, once you hear about them or come across them, uh, they all have everything's through Twitter. So you go to their Twitter. You see how many followers they have. You start looking through their followers to see if it's mostly bots or if it's real people. And once you kind of, you, you know, you go through that, down that path to kind of identify the popularity of this thing. Then you have to identify who the creator is because it all starts with the creator. Is this guy legit or is this just a fucking scam? You know, like I looked up the creator of this dragons thing and this guy you know, Yahoo published an article uh, of him, um, you know, basically about this NFT, published an article about him. And, um, 
you know, apparently he was a very successful programmer. Um, and he kind of gave up that career to pursue, you know, his, uh, you know, making kind of his own way and his, you know, starting his own company on the blockchain and basically doing what he's doing. Um, couldn't find a LinkedIn profile. That is something to look for. Um, you know, his name is Ryan Levin. I have written down. I couldn't find him on LinkedIn. It would be great to like go on LinkedIn and see that this guy was like the, like one of the, like the VP of like programming at Google or some shit, just to see some like legitimate credentials, because you know, what they're offering is like an online virtual community that includes games, blah, blah, blah. What experience other than what I read in this Yahoo article, I don't know what experience this guy has in terms of like making games and, uh, and just, you know, overall experience in terms of programming, just making this kind of product. I mean, you know, it was refreshing to at least see something about it. But, you know, if you could find a LinkedIn article and, and go through their, um, you know, their entire career uh, as it relates to this sort of thing, then I'm, that's obviously valuable information. So that's really the biggest thing. It's just kind of determining the popularity of these kinds of things once you come across a project and kind of just seeing you know, how many people are into it, uh, whether or not it's real people, and then just trying to determine the, the legitimacy of it. Because again, an NFT, this is an online community where you could participate in games, buy things from their store, just from having one of these tokens. There's a lot of NFTs that are just getting made, just that are just digital pieces of art. They don't actually like provide, it's called utility. It's just, it's just there, right? This gives you access to something a lot of nfts you have to find you have to do that market research to to kind of see what they're offering if it's just a piece of art or something unless it's done by some like fucking famous artist like then you're really not getting anything out of it so it's just little things to keep in mind like this in terms of like popularity legitimacy and what it's being utilized for those are kind of the three big things that you need to look for when identifying these kinds of things. I mean, all in all, it's kind of a popularity contest uh, and just making sure that the product is made solidly and that it actually has utility. So I'm running out of time here. Um, how you get your hands on these things. Um, it's called it. Uh, everything that's kind of on resale is through this uh, platform called OpenSea. Um, and the way that they're sold is, uh, initially is directly through their website, which is kind of a, um, dubious process, um, you know, just in terms of like being able to get your hands on one. It's, it's very difficult, especially if it's kind of a more of a popular one. Um, and, uh, if you want, I could, uh, take some time to talk about that more, uh, in a next podcast or anybody who listens to it, if, uh, anything that I've talked about today is interesting to you and you want to know more about that, please feel free to text me or call me and we'll, and we'll talk about it. All right. Um, that's pretty much it. Again, I got 10 seconds here. Shout out to Brendan Dumphy, my number one listener. Let's go.